from your own feet, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs Week on We Read the Book. I'm Adam Heap. I'm Lois Mitchell. And we're joined today by my wonderful wife, Kathy. Oh, I was about to say Kathleen Thompson then. Wow, we've been married for, what, almost two years now? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> You're back. Yes, I'm back. Round two. Yay. Bonus round. Uh, so our question of the week this week, if you could make it rain anything for one day in your suburb or city, what would it be and why? Lois. Men. Hallelujah. And or other genders. Non. It's raining humans. It's raining humans. That, But also that would be really bad. <laughs> So, yeah. But I feel like that problem still existed when the original song came out. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure there were many, many gags about it. Yeah. So, I'm so lonely. Is my answer. That's my answer. You need a reinforced umbrella. No, I want them to come to me. Yeah, well, yeah but you don't want them to land directly to on them. you. Yeah. I mean, if they like land on... I mean, they're falling from a significant height. Well, yeah. They are almost certain to die. Yeah. I would have it rain snow. I think that's called snowing, but I would have it rain snow. <laughs> I'm assuming that's just because it doesn't snow a lot in sunny Western be Australia. Fantastic. Yeah. Can you just imagine the chaos that would be unleashed in the city and everywhere if we all, like, I mean, we can barely drive when it rains. We all what remember the, the, when great, it snows? the great hailstorm of 2009. Never forget. And there's no infrastructure for, like, icy roads or anything. No, everything so. would just shut down. Mandatory stay at home in bed. I would also Man- like Mandatory that. staying in bed, maybe. I think no, I'm the pretty government sure would be hard-pressed to enforce I'm pretty that. sure when it snows, you have to stay in bed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what the government would say. Mandatory stay at home in bed. It's where you're safest. Everyone knows I that. I would have it rain, uh, like, sports balls. Just balls falling from the sky? Yeah. Yeah, that was why I specified sports balls so wanna, that you, you did not pick up immediately. You bathing balls. Yeah, but I would, I would be like tennis balls, soccer balls everywhere. Because when you see a ball, you cannot not like kick and or throw and or play with it. I, I disagree. Yeah. yeah. Well, I am in the group that cannot and I would just, it would just be great. Everyone also, it would look really cool because they'd all bounce. Mm. Yeah, like sick. those videos of bouncy balls like going down a hill or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that would be that'd so That would be really sick. cool. Imagine like... Jacob's Ladder! Yeah. Or like or like the San Francisco hills and stuff yeah. like that. That'd be great. Be really cool. Cool, yeah, visual effects. Uh, okay, it's Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs week. Uh, so this is an interesting one. We've not really looked at a lot of picture books before. Yeah, I mean, we said last time that we chose it because we were doing Lord of the Rings, so we needed something that would be quick. Um, after Lord of the Rings. And this was certainly a very quick read. I read it in five minutes. It's um, it's on YouTube. That's how I read it. Oh. There's heaps of picture books on YouTube. People Did you do reading. the audiobook of the picture book, Lois? Well, I mean, I guess it was technically an audiobook, but it was someone reading it with the pages. Like on Play School. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of picture books on, on YouTube. It was really cool. Uh, so we're going to take our vote on whether we prefer the book or the film more. I'll throw to Cat first. I know that we were talking about it previously and Lois was umming and ahhing and I literally just read the book right then and now I'm umming and ahhing because they're so different. Yeah. Like it's almost hard to compare them. But I'm on enjoyment 
I'm going to say the movie. For the same reason, I'm going to say the movie as well. Yeah, I'm the third in that trio. I think there's definitely, while they are both good in their own way, I got I got far more enjoyment out of one than the other, and it was the film yeah. by a pretty significant margin. And there are plenty of reasons for that. The book is not really marketed at someone in their late 20s. It is a kid's picture book. Yeah, so the, the movie does that thing where it has jokes for grown-ups as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess... From our perspective, that was always going to be the winner. Yeah. And I think if you were to, like, survey children today, I think you'd find a lot of them would also go for the movie because it's so big and entertaining and sort of magical when you watch it, all the different things like ice cream on houses, which kind of made me go starry-eyed at the the screen as well. Yeah. But had I been read that book as a kid, I think I would have really, really been intrigued by the the world that's created. Yeah, I think I would have really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, I mean, the interesting question now is, though, so this is probably the first time we've kind of... Uh, this is the first time we've come across a picture book to film adaptation. We've done comic book before with Big Hero yeah. 6. Um, and Captain America. Yeah, and Captain America. But this is kind of a different proposition. Is it a good adaptation? I think it's a very good adaptation. Um, I think it takes the spirit of the book... And makes it into a movie, basically, which is all you can really ask. Um, what the movie does, which the book doesn't do, the book talks about a fictional place, but the book doesn't have a protagonist in that place. And obviously for a movie, you couldn't do that. And I really, really enjoyed the fact that they created a story within Chew and Swallow that encompassed everything that was in the book but managed to be its own thing as well. So yeah, I really I, I really think it is a good adaptation because I think it read the source material, went, okay, this is good, and then went from there. Mm. I, I I like that the way you said took the like the spirit of the book. I think that um had they taken like tried to go exactly from the book into a movie, it could have come out like a children's version of Princess Bride, of the grandfather reading a book to the kids and telling moral lessons through that and then sort of ending, you know, sort of happily ever after and the children sort of looking back at it and sort of realising the things that they needed to learn. and Yeah, that's actually something that I, I didn't grow up with. I didn't see Princess Bride until I was in my 20s and that's something that I don't like about it. So I don't have the nostalgia for it and... I don't really love it as a movie, which I know like most people are like horrified when they hear that. But yeah, I do find it really preachy, but I think it's because, yeah, I don't have the nostalgia for it and it's for kids. And I was really glad. I saw the movie before I read the book and then having read the book, I was like, oh, I'm really glad they didn't go with that as a framing device um, because I think it just works well as its own story standing on its own. Mm. I am also of the opinion that it's a good adaptation. I think, yeah, it... In a case like this, all you're looking to do is to take the concept and the spirit, I think, of a picture book, uh, especially for kids, and they turn it into something that is, uh, I think, bigger and better, almost. Uh, Yeah, just the world that they create and the colour and the authenticity and comedy of it, it's it's all done really effectively. Uh, So a plot summary for those of you who've never seen the film. In the fishing town of Swallow Falls, inventor Flint Lockwood is widely regarded as a failure. 
This all changes when he invents a machine that makes food fall from the sky, bringing delicious goodables to the whole town. However, when his machine malfunctions and begins throwing down vastly oversized food, it's up to Flint and weather reporter Sam Sparks to stop the machine and save the day. Flint like wood. Flint like wood. <laughs> oh man, let's talk about the cast then, because this cast is it's a good cast. Very incredible. Good. Bill Hader as Flint. Didn't know it was Bill Hader until I went and looked it up afterwards. Some of the other ones I could guess, but Bill Hader, I was like, oh. I always just think of Bill Hader because of his appearance as much older than he is. Maybe it's just the receding hairline or whatever, but in a lot of these animated family comedies, the protagonists or the main characters are all kind of young, wide-eyed and, and, and sort of excitable and Flint is definitely the epitome of that. but And so it was just like that I did not associate Bill Hader with him at all until I looked up and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. I think that's the thing about Bill Hader is he is someone who can really disappear into a character. So you don't, you don't necessarily realize it's him. And that might at times be a good thing. So like, I know he does quite a lot of voice work, but you're not always like, oh, that's Bill Hader. I, I enjoyed his performance. Um, Flint Lockwood carries the movie very well. Um, I think yeah. I, I like especially the bits where uh, he's running through, where he's verbalising his processes. Yes. They're, that's really, the comic timing is very good and that was the direction that is, is very funny. And I think those are the times when you, that, that's when you hear Bill Hader the most, when he's doing that sort of verbal diarrhea processing Thing, which he does in a lot of his sort of sketches and other comedy work. I almost feel like if you were to change the voice actors of Flint and Baby Brent, that you'd be more likely to pick them for the yeah. voice actors. Like you'd think Andy Samberg for Flint and Bill Hader for the side goofy character, but they work quite well how they were cast. Yeah. Uh, Anna Faris as Sam Sparks. So I don't really know anything else that Anna Faris has been in. Um, unfortunately, I know her as Chris Pratt's wife. I don't know if she does a ton of acting work, does she? I mean, she's been in a fair few things. She was in, um, she's House Bunny. If you've ever seen House Bunny, um, she's also in Yogi Bear as the female protagonist. Okay, I haven't seen that either. Um, and she plays the middle mum in Mum. So she's got. A mum, and then it's her, and then she has a daughter, if you've ever watched that TV show. No. I dislike her in almost every single thing <laughs> I see her in, and it's horrible, but it is actually just her voice and her hair. So what did you think of her in this then? I was fine until I realised who it was, and then I couldn't get it out of my head. But that's by association rather than the actual Yeah, no, this, she. Right? I think this is probably the only role that I've seen her in where I actually thought, hey, this suits you. Yeah, but almost every role that she's in, she plays a sort of flirty, a little bit, maybe a little bit dumb, and she plays up that whole blonde hair, sort of young, uneducated thing, and then becomes like the underdog that's really smart. So again, this role just sat with every other role yeah. that she's played. They definitely, well, they definitely make jokes about that. About that that stereotype, at least, mm. because Sam Sparks is not that kind of girl. Yeah. She portrays that to kind of make sure that she can make a living and to avoid being teased for who she actually is, which is very, very smart. The feminism in this movie is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Really, really interesting. Um. Yeah, well... There's pros and cons. 
there's pros and cons, but yeah, it's like very strongly feminist for a movie that was directed by two dudes. James Kahn as Flint's dad, Tim Lockwood. I think this is a really funny character and like a really good performance. And yeah, James Kahn's just like from a lot of stuff. What is he from? I don't know. This is the thing, like, I know the name, and I know yeah. he's in, like, everything, and then I couldn't name a single thing that he's in. He's an old dude. You'd recognise his face when you, if you saw it, yeah. This is a good performance, though, because this character is very sincere for most of this film, and, like, understated, and that's that can be hard to play. Yeah, like, he would have had to be careful to not be too blank that it was, like, robotic. He's kind of the emotional core of the film. Yeah. But, like, I mean, as at his character isn't meant to display emotion very well, so had he tried to tone his voice back too much... Yeah, exactly. He could have There's a fine line of war, yeah. Yeah. I think his eyebrows were one of the best characters. <laughs> that's true. They are their own character. They are. Yeah. Uh, they, they do their own thing. And also, sardines are somehow a character in this movie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw a sardine get spat out of another sardine and into someone's mouth, and it was a bit disturbing. That's I amazing. did not catch that at all, but it does not, I would not, I don't disbelieve you for one second. Yeah. I hope it was real. Uh, we've already mentioned Andy Samberg as Baby Brent. Oh my god, he's so good in this movie. Pretty it's... much like one, like there are a lot of really good jokes in this movie, but like a lot of them come from Baby Brent. He it's, is. It's getting to that point now where, like, as soon as I hear the voice, I'm like, "Oh, hey, Andy Samberg, you're in this," it's which great. is not a bad thing because he's probably one of the best TV and film comedians on the planet at the moment. What I mean, I... his work in Brooklyn Nine Nine is like. Is, is hard to come up against. Yeah, what I like about Andy Samberg doing voice acting, because he's done a little bit, um, is that each of his characters, while you can tell it's Andy Samberg, it's not like, it, it doesn't just sound like one guy doing the same voice for every single character. Like, you know, when he does other characters, they have their own personality and they've got their own, you know, minor accents and, you know, things like that. This is really into his dude bro accent. Yeah. For Brent, because that's what he is. Yeah. An entitled douchebag. Yeah, I'm just going to um, add, just while, I, um, while I've got it up on IMDb, because I know some of our listeners who might be movie buffs are probably, like, screaming right now, um, James Caan is Sonny Corleone in The Godfather, so, um, sorry, movie buffs. Is that, is that the main guy? Uh, no, it's his son. I've I only have seen The Godfather once. It. I've only seen The Godfather once. I, I think it's the main guys. Because the main guy is... Um, oh, um... Uh, Danny DeVito. Uh, n- no! Danny DeVito! <laughs> Amazing. The most that I know about The Godfather is when on Rograts Go to Paris, Angelica sits in the room at the wedding and says... They <coughs> do a parody of that scene. Yeah, and just, it's hilarious. That's Marlon the most Brando. The, the Godfather is, is Marlon Brando. Yeah, Sonny must be his son. I wish it wasn't now. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> wish it was Danny DeVito. That's amazing. Um, especially, like, given that we just... Oh, well, this episode comes out before Matilda, but spoilers, we did the episode before. Um, we just watched Matilda. Um, Danny DeVito. Oh, my God, Danny DeVito, like, as the Godfather would be... Hilarious. A choice. I oh, my God, I need to see that. spent so long thinking that Danny DeVito was from The Godfather. <laughs> oh, really? And that all of his comic roles were kind of just, like, cameos. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> Bruce Campbell as the mayor. He's another dude who's just in a lot of things. Yeah. Mr. T as uh, the policeman Earl Devereaux. 
Amazing. Uh-huh. Oh, this is probably one of the best voice performances. How do you say, like, Mr. T did an amazing voice performance? He just does his Mr. T voice, but this character is hilarious. This, yeah, they they matched up the energy that Mr. T brings to the way they animated the character. Mm. I liked it as well, though, because the even though he was quite a macho character, he was... Slightly to, effeminate. He just in wants to be a good movements. dad. Yeah. He but like sensitive. his movements were, yeah. were very like flowy and He's a ninja. Yeah. I, I love I love the way he runs. Because if you see <laughs> him run, his chest always stays the same height and it's like his legs are moving like Looney Tunes sort of style. And the bit where he like just does like flips to get through a crowd. Yeah, it's great. He, everything about the character is amazing. Yeah, just when he when he says Flint's name, he's like Flint Lockwood! Flint Lockwood! <laughs> great <laughs> so good and finally uh, it's kind of not really a big role in any way but benjamin bratt as manny the cameraman slash doctor slash co-pilot slash comedian Media physicist i think he says he says that but that's a joke and yeah. then he's like oh, i was actually a comedian oh right yeah yeah <laughs> uh it's very understated but very funny yeah let's talk about the directors then uh phil lord and christopher miller who i mean this was probably one of the f- First, I don't know when Twenty One Jump Street came out. Oh, it was this, much it was, before. Yeah, it would have been before this. Yeah. Was no, it? no, I don't think no. it was. this was two thousand nine. I'm pretty sure Twenty One Jump Street was like twenty twelve. Twenty One Jump Street was when I was. Well, Twenty Two was only out last year, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was out of school. Twenty One Jump Street was in twenty twelve. Yeah. So three years and after this. Twenty Two Jump Street was in twenty fourteen. Oh, okay. So not last year. About oh, wow. three years ago. Okay. <laughs> How uh, time flies. So regardless though, this was probably one of the first big kind of films they had. Yeah. Yeah. So when was this? 2009. Yeah. That, I mean, so since then they've gone on to do a fair bit of animated work. Uh, I mean, they're in charge of the Lego franchise at the moment. So they've done the Lego movie, the Lego Batman movie, the Lego Ninjago movie, which is about to come out, and then the Lego movie sequel. And, and also the studio, the studio is Sony Animation, and they haven't had a ton of stuff out, the most recent being Boss Baby. As an animation studio, Sony's really, like, come out with, like, a good one and then kind of maybe gone downhill. Though, I mean, maybe Boss Baby's okay, I don't know. They have, but they, they have struggled to kind of retain the kind of quality that's Cars franchise aside that... Pixar, Pixar yeah. have maintained. Or um, Illumination Animation, which is Despicable Me. Yeah. And Secret Life of Pets. And, and and Disney now, more recently. Yeah. And the yellow things of which we we shall not speak. Nope. So. I can see the, the similarity between this movie and the Lego movie, since they were directed by the same people. Um, I can see the same with the jokes. Especially the um, the speed which, with which they move past jokes. They don't linger on jokes, which is really what I prefer. Yes. I just want to, like... I, I really like the feeling of the joke where you're like, I got that. And, like, they're not lingering on it, so maybe someone else, like, wouldn't have got it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's a superiority complex. Yeah, I really have a superiority <laughs> complex. No, they're going for a high jokes per minute ratio. Yeah, That's yeah, like, they're not trying to make sure everybody is, like, 100% on board with every joke, is what I mean. It's not You're going to hit some like... hit, some miss. Yeah, yeah, which is really what I prefer with comedy. Um, I really hate when movies, like, underline what's being, what yeah. what's funny. You, yeah. Uh, well, let's get into the plot then. Uh, so the movie opens with uh, Flint's kind of childhood. So, I mean, he's a young inventor. He's very creative. 
Uh, I like the scene of him in a classroom, which is kind of the, the big opening thing, and he's got his spray-on shoes, and it's kind of established here that he's very smart, and his inventions oftentimes work but aren't well thought out. Yeah, or like we find out with the spray-on shoes, it's not fit for purpose. So what he's invented is amazing, but it needs to be used in another way. Yeah. Not Which has a nice payoff at the end of the film. Yeah, we'll, yeah, so we'll talk about that at the end, but... Uh, there's some great scenes, uh, with his parents. Um, so his mum features very early on this when he's only a little child. She gives him that lab coat in a very touching scene. Uh, his mum is, uh... Laura Graham, Yeah, Laura right? Graham, who is the, uh, mother in Gilmore Girls. Uh, and his, obviously his dad and his mum really understands him, which is a, in contrast to his dad, who is a sardine tackle shop salesman. Yeah. So they live in this town, um, of, uh, Swallow Falls. It's a sardine fishing town. Yeah. So the sardine, <laughs> they say, there's a joke here where they're like, everyone realized that sardines are disgusting. So these sardines are not cool or something. Yeah, sardines are really gross. Yeah, that's it. So so the town went like the the fishing industry went bust, and but because they there's so many sardines in the area for some reason in the logic of the movie, which you just have to go with. Everyone in the town basically only eats sardines. Yeah, and the town's going broke, but that's where Baby Brent comes from. From like when the town was going through its big sardine boom, and he's sort of the as a baby, he was the poster boy doing a cute little look over his shoulder, opening a can of sardines or something. No, like he that. had a he had a um, one of those wagons, red wagons, full of sardines. Oh, is that what it was? And yeah, it, it tipped over, sense. and that's why he says, "Uh oh." Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that makes much more sense. Yeah. yeah so he is his famous catchphrase is "Uh oh," and I really like the bit which happens a bit later. But I really like the bit where he comes into the fishing shop, and he's got like two babes with him, as if like. Because he's been writing this one, like, advert his yeah. whole life. As if babes would be like, oh, you're the sardine baby. But maybe in a small, I like that, in a small town, yeah. you know, like, you, that's believable. It's, it's really funny. funny, though. Yeah, it's really, it's a, it's a really funny character. And I, I like the motivation that Flint kind of invents things because he wants to help the town because of that sardine industry kind of going bust. Now, I think, I like it because you, it's, it's. You can imply then that, you know, that he sees his father kind of struggling in the tackle shop and, and wants to help him, even though I love the dynamic between them. It's so good that they they just don't quite get each other, but they really love each other. Yeah. And obviously the sad bit is uh, you notice Flint's mum passes away uh, before he grows old. But this even this is great. I love the way that the movie tackles this because it doesn't, it's not like... Also, my mum died, and it was really sad. You just know, you just overhear it in a conversation between him and his dad. He's like, you know, it was, it's been this lot. They're arguing with each other, and Flint's like, uh, "Mum got me in a way that you couldn't." And and you just see their nerves both get touched, and they're just like, "Oh." In a in a point on Lois is mentioning of feminism, uh, Flint's mum was quite a strong, self assured character, as you'll notice. Most of the women in this movie, I mean, obviously, aside from. Sam, who had to work at finding herself, but the other mums that you encounter are quite on it. Ready. Yeah, they're just they're just people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's unfortunately something that's very rare in any filmmaking, yeah. let alone children's filmmaking. Yeah, she's not portrayed as the um, beautiful dancing in the you know field mum in a sundress that once was. She's just like a mum telling her kid that she's proud of him and. 
you know, wearing normal mum stuff and yeah, and also encouraging his love of science. Yeah, yeah very a very like, good theme of this film. Yeah, and and really good for a female character to be like, even though she's not the one doing the science, though we have another character in the film that does that because it's really important to foster those um char- those female characters who do love science and and that kind of thing. Um, so even that his mum's like, yeah, you go do what you want to do and be interested in what you want to be interested in is, is like a really good thing. I do like a lot of films seem to be heading in that we're getting a, a bit of a wave of those coming through or at least, a, you know, the, the opening of a, a floodgate, hopefully. So uh, Flynn grows older and we kind of got pretty much jump straight into his invention of the Fuzimunifer. <laughs> None of us are ever going to be able to pronounce if, that if the way that he does. If you didn't get that right, it was... So basically, this is Flint's food creation device, and it takes water and turns it into food. Yeah. That's great. Uh, we kind of get a, a peek of his lab, and we're introduced to... Oh, we're introduced to Steve the monkey. I knew we'd forgotten someone. Oh, Steve yeah. the monkey, who is voiced by Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. And is able to speak through one of Flint's own inventions, the monkey thought translator, which is incredibly specific and very funny. And yeah. comes into a good use at the end of the film as yeah. well. Also um, a very funny use. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, it, I like the fact that normally you'd be like, oh, cool, so he's made an invention that lets the monkey talk like a regular person. No, it just translates directly what he's thinking. So he's like... Hungry! Yeah, gummy bears! Or usually, most of the time, just his own name. Yeah. Steve! Steve! There's a great part where, like, um, Flint's talking or uh, doing something with someone else and, you know, Steve the monkey is not really involved at all. And he's just sort of in the corner of the camera sticking his head in and there's a microphone or a calculator and he's just like, lick, 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 like a dog would. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So... His invention doesn't quite work, it shorts out the power, and the only way to get it to work is to uh, access the nearby power plant. Um, and we, this is the first bit we kind of get a scene between him and his dad, and there's a bit of conflict, because obviously their mum is no longer there. Flint's dad is kind of obviously struggling, probably, you assume financially, it's never, they're never really going to be poor or anything, but that he wants Flint to help work in the tackle shop, uh, and so Flint begrudgingly does this, but only really so that he can move, get to the nearby power plant and make his invention work. And so while everyone else is off marvelling at the mayor's new unveiling of Sardine Land, which he has spent the entire town budget on, which is a... It's, I, lo- I love the phrase sardine. He's like... They have this, like, commercial. He's like, um... Uh, the sardine uh, business is no more. The future, sardine tourism. Yeah. Like... Much. Two words that just do not go together. Yeah. So the the mayor is kind of, um, he's nefarious. He's kind of... But I mean, dumb nefarious. He's not very smart. You get the impression that he wants fame for the town for his own glory. He's got an inferiority to, complex because he's small. Yeah. And he, he talks a lot about, you know, being really big. And that I comes want people to, to think of me well. as a bit. I want people to look at me and say, that's a big mayor. <laughs> and then that comes into play when the food comes into play. <laughs> Oh, there's just so many good running jokes in this movie. There's just lots of callbacks. They do their yeah. callbacks very well. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he does Sardine Land and um, Earl, the police officer, is like, I've got my eye on you, Flint Lockwood. This contact <laughs> yeah. is you. And I've got my eye on you. 
so good. And then a lot again, just another great guy. Flint points out, he's like a jaywalker. And like, uh, I was like, where? And he like, looks at him and goes and just tackles the guy to the ground straight yeah. away for like minor offenses. It's fantastic. So Flint goes and um, connects the fluid of Sefer to the um, main power grid. And of course, it immediately like goes insane and flies off and he's holding onto it. And it flies off and he. Into the, into like the, the clouds, the atmosphere. Oh, well, first through the crowd. Well, the yeah. Because this at this point we've met Sam, who's the reporter, and she's a reporter for the Weather Channel, and she's been sent to cover the Sardine Land thing because the mayor is a cousin of the producer of her show or something. And she's only an intern, so they've sent like the intern. most basic person they can. Yeah. When the flood of us of her goes um crazy, uh one of the people that Flint hits is is Sam. Finally, it shakes him loose and it flies off into the sky and he thinks that's the end of the machine. And everyone in town is mad at him. Uh, the, 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 the sequence of chaos here is so well animated. Uh, like, his machine topples the, the humongous bowl which the world's largest sardine is being held oh, in. Oh yeah, that's so funny. Which is just a slightly larger sardine. Yeah. It's like this <laughs> and, it's, and it's glorious ring of fire. Yeah. It's like a bowl big enough to hold like a whale, and it's got a sardine in it. Oh, just the even the attractions, like the I love the 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 kids in the sardine can. Yeah, that was weird. Funny though, and so basically he destroys the park. Though the the fishbowl topples over like a Ferris a runaway Ferris wheel would do in in your standard runaway Ferris wheel TV scene, and uh, and. The sardine does it. I love this gag. So the sardine, like, survives for most of it, flies up and through the, the ring of fire, and then is eaten by uh, an eagle. No, or no, a, a rat bird. Eaten oh. by a rat bird. <laughs> a rat bird! Which is one of Flint's uh, amazing early inventions where he, you know, made a, a rat and a bird sort of hybrid. What I don't think he understands is that pigeons already existed. So. <laughs> I just, just love the fact that he, like, he looked at this and like, this is a good idea. Yeah, I think that's a really funny joke because this is this is in the, the montage of him showing the town his new inventions. And it's like, this thing, what is it? It's like TV with legs or whatever. Oh, a remote, a like, remote controlled TV. Yeah, and then it's like something else that, and both of those things are like, maybe you could find a use for them, but it's like, rat birds is the last one. <laughs> and it's like... Who thought this was a good idea? Even and then, of course, like, they all get free. And then, like, there's a line later, which is like, and the rat birds bred an alarming rate. <laughs> <laughs> also, the fact that he could, like, create life like that. He's, I think he's much smarter than he yeah. realized. Also, a, a rat bird carries off a kid at one point. Oh, it's, it's almost <laughs> immediately afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so good. I mean, even just even they don't let even let this small stuff go because the the remote controlled TV is a character in the rest of the film it appears commonly like the the townspeople seem to have accepted its existence it's so good yeah uh so Flint goes off to the jetty to kind of be sad about his failure because he's kind of like well cat's already laughing I let down my dad and everything. <laughs> And as he's there, he kind of hides because he hears someone coming. He's like sitting on this ladder at the end of the jetty. Like under, under the jetty. Like, you know, if you yeah, were to right climb off the, the edge and you sit sort of like behind the ladder. Yeah, if you were climbing down to a boat, the so, ladder you'd climb yeah, down on. You're flush with the edge of the jetty. You need yeah. to know that. 
And so Sam comes and she's also sad because she's been humiliated. I think as she's knocked over in the fray, her face gets pressed up against the camera screen and the, and like her, the, the anchor back at the TV studio is like, Oh, that poor intern humiliated in, on national TV like that. Yeah. And so she's like, Oh, well, I had one chance and I blew it. And she sits down the end of the jetty and I know Kat's already laughing at this because when we watched it, she cracked up. Is like her her shoes just kind of swing down right and in, right into a view of Flint's face, right into his eyeballs, and they kind of like sink into them. So it's like she's sitting and she's sort of like she's huffed and she's let her feet just like hang off the edge, and her her heels just happen to line up with Flint's eyes, and instead of just like hitting his face and he sort of gets knocked back, his like the whites of his eyeballs like kind of just comically squish around her shoes. <laughs> And it's a, com- it's that- a combination of that and the immediate scream, and it's just like, <laughs> and so and so our, our protagonists meet, yeah, in the most unfortunate fashion, and um, immediately she's like, "What's wrong with your feet?" Because when he sprayed his feet with the spray on shoes, um, he could never get the spray off again. I like the implication is that because he's wearing them the whole thing, even though like, obviously there's like, how did they get? How did his feet get bigger? Blah blah blah. Well, they looked pretty stretchy. Yeah. yeah. But, like, he's never taken those shoes off, ever. Oh, his yeah. feet must stink. Also, like, how does he cut his toenails? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot of... You just suspend your disbelief, because it's a funny gag. Yeah. But, um... So, she, like, points out, like, oh, what's wrong with your feet? Because he's got these brown shoes on. And then she gives, like, a really scientific explanation. And he's just immediately, like, shinies around his face and just, like, huge eyes, like... She's amazing. Yeah, she understands me. Yeah. Oh, and, and like she's, cause she, yeah. So basically her, the premise of, of Sam's character is that she is, she was a very smart girl. She was a parallel of, of Flint in, in his youth. Cause she wanted to be a very smart weather girl and, or weather scientist almost. And was forced to dumb herself down to fit everyone else's expectations. And, you know, so now she's just a weather girl in quotes. And uh, so every time she gives like a scientific explanation, she then will go, Oh, I mean, and then give a stupid explanation. There's water in the clouds, <laughs> yeah. And then, like, even though she obviously doesn't really want to do that, yeah. And, and then I like of, that. Um, the sort of laugh, give like a ditzy laugh, yeah, yeah. So, this is what we're talking about with the, the sort of feminism thing. It's really high it, to me. That plot line is saying. Look what women have to do a lot of the time in order to get ahead. And that's a really, like, interesting message to put in a kid's movie. Bold, yeah. Yeah. But but I'm glad that they have because it, it really gives their character a level of depth. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, so as they're on the jetty, the, like, clouds roll over and they're glowing and purple and stuff like that. And the machine has started taking in water vapor from the clouds and producing food on a mass scale. So it begins to rain hamburgers. Yeah. It's great. It's a good visual. And everyone in the town does this, like, huge gasp. It's amazing. Oh, and including a rat bird. <laughs> yeah. Which is like... Ah! <laughs> so good. And uh, so Flint is good in everyone's books. This kind of leads to a, a prolonged sequence of, you know, everyone is happy and there's lots of different... F- and it's this is part where you start to see all of the, the food things from the... The book, little references, which we've not mentioned a whole lot of because the book doesn't really have a whole lot of plot per se. Yeah. We haven't, I mean, if, if you want a brief rundown of the book, it's basically a, gran- a a parent telling a story to his kid about 
you know, this magical... As a grandparent. Yeah, grandparent. Telling this magical story of how food fell from the sky in this one town in the world. And everything was great, and then it wasn't. And so they all left. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. The, the first example of things going badly in the book was that it rained gorgonzola cheese, which, to be honest, I don't think is a bad thing. <laughs> I think I'd be rather happy. But this is the point at which I said um, the book did something much better than the movie, was that in the town, in the book, all of the leftover food was gathered together and then it fed, uh, you know, like the cats and the dogs and the animals on the island. And then it was given to, which is, I mean, it's not realistic, but then it was given to like the fish in the sea and it says it fed the turtles and the whales and all of that. And then the rest was put into the ground to make the um, soil more nutritious. Nutritious? For flowers, yeah. For the flowers. And I thought that's really nice. Whereas in the movie, one of the plot, I mean, they use it. To, to help the plot is that the excess food that gets rained, they have street sweepers and it just sort of gets chucked Can out of sight. Them. Yeah, to like this, this like hilltop behind a dam. Yeah, yeah, basically. Which, <laughs> which is stupidly is, unbreakable dam. Which is also in itself tremendously comical. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just, I mean, they needed it for the plot for this, for the movie, but also, you know, reuse, reduce and recycle. The recycling message is... Well, I mean, it's it's not not there, but it's like, yeah, they just use it for a different reason in the in the plot for this one because they do have plot necessities. Uh, so Flint starts taking requests from people, and there's all sorts of good times as they get all the food that they want. The longer it goes on, so the mayor starts developing this plan. Uh, I like it when the food starts falling; he immediately starts pigging out. And like over the course of the film, it doesn't take very long. He becomes very fat very very quickly, and like comically fat yeah like obese to the point where he has to ride around on a scooter because he can't walk but he's like 10 times bigger than the scooter yeah. he's huge um and he was like a tiny person oh, yeah very very small. yeah so now he is a big man yeah he's a big man yeah people say look at that big mayor which someone literally does say later yeah. on very funny uh, so the mayor as he's as he starts picking out he starts forming a plan in his head to kind of bring Tourists to the island, which which is a a, a reasonable plan uh, to bring tourists to the, the island of floating food, and he kind of coerces Flint into continuing to take requests and to do certain things and to make the machine behave a certain way and all this and that. So I mean, initially it's an accident. Flint didn't intend that. Oh to no, happen, no, and everyone assumes that he did. Um, so he has to quickly build a receiver where he can type in orders to the machine one of my favorite jokes in the whole film comes in that segment where because yeah. he takes um sam up into the lab because they sam want to see Manny, the machine. Yeah. yeah they want to see the machine and and he realizes and she's like can we see how you do it he's like yes and he hasn't built the machine so he's like um just quickly look at this cat video and, and she's enthralled by the cat video and you see him doing his process and stuff you know they do that that little bit and then as he comes back she she's like i can't believe we've been watching this video for three hours <laughs> he's like me neither it's so funny. But yeah, so he can kind of input commands into it and he'll get that sort of food. One of the major plot holes in this part is where he's putting in the first command for a, um, they have this sort of like romantic moment. And they're like, we can make it rain breakfast with eggs and toast and orange juice. And then he tries to kiss her and, you know, that fails. And, and as he's typing it in, he types in eggs easy over in all sorts of code he puts in lots of coding jargon and stuff like that then when it actually rains the food 
the eggs are sunny side up. So I don't know what's going on there. You heard it here first, folks. Movie, awful movie. Yeah. Major. Disbelievable. Major, major stuff up in the movie. Yeah. Very. Maybe. I didn't even notice, but I'm not surprised that you did. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. <laughs> Those eggs are quite right. Yeah. Uh, so the town of Swallow Falls becomes the town of Chew and Swallow. Yeah, which is what the town is called in the book, yeah. which is a cool nice that they little put that um, homage. Yeah. Uh, throughout all of this, kind of Flint's dad is very skeptical of the whole thing. Uh, he's just like, it's just not right, and you're perverting nature. Yeah. I think his his best line was when he said, I'm just not, what was it? I'm just not up to date with this techno food stuff. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And and later on he's saying like it's not healthy for people. No. Um, which definitely the, isn't. Yeah. The portion sizes start yeah. to, which is, start so, to so mutate. There's this, like, there's this meter on the machine, which is the dangerometer or something. Yeah. And uh, it's got a green section, a yellow section, and a red section. And for most of this first bit, it's, it's in a green. And then the longer it goes on, the closer it climbs. And it gets into the yellow and... It's uh, for food mutations. Yeah, yeah. So basically they're using radiation to change the water into food. And the more, like, radiation it is, the more the food will mutate, blah, blah, blah. So as they're they're having this scene where Flint takes his dad to the open roof restaurant, which is a very funny gag from the book that they they bring in here. Uh, Like, there's these very large stakes falling down. Not huge... But well oversized. Like one of those ones that you'd have to, like, if you ate it all in one sitting, you wouldn't have to pay yeah. sort of size. Yeah. And so his dad's We've like... We've kind of skipped a bit. Like, there is a bunch of stuff with um, him getting to know Sam. So he makes the jello. Oh, did the jello thing happen before this? Yeah. Because yeah. pretty much from the rooftop restaurant, they pretty much go into the oh, of course they did, last yeah. bit yeah. of the movie. Yeah, so he, he makes a jello castle for Sam, which everything's made of jello. And they have a bounce castle... And then there's a funny bit there where she puts on her glasses and you can see in her blurry vision of him, he's like a stud muffin. And then yeah. when she puts them on, she's like, oh! oh. <laughs> um, and there's also the bit where Earl comes and says, oh, can you do something special for my son's birthday? And he makes it snow ice cream, which is just like such a cool... It was magical. Yeah, like, it was really it, magical. It looked, it looked like something out of a Dr. Seuss there's a, there's a segment in this where, because Flint's never had a snowball fight before. <laughs> and so he throws this weak, weak snowball at like one of the kids because Earl's son like is like, hey, want to do the snowball fight? And, and, and she's like, throw it harder. And he's like, like this? And he pelts this kid in the face with the snowball. <laughs> and then there's this scene of him going absolutely maniacal. Like he runs into people's houses and pelts them like full on in the face with these ice cream snowballs. Yeah. Very, very funnily And they're filmed. just like, they're just like, ha ha ha, and then just start eating the ice cream. Yeah. And then there's a bit that I think Lois quite enjoyed, which is where Steve the monkey um, <laughs> yeah. was, I, I say with air quotes, joining in, and um, I think it was quite... Sam's a, talking about him, and yeah, she's like, I oh, think, he's throwing all those chocolate ice creams around. Yeah, I think it was when he was convincing, when she was convincing Flint to throw snowballs, and she was like, look, even Steve's throwing balls of chocolate ice cream. And then they look at him and they're like, oh, no. no. Oh, no. <laughs> they're, and they're both like, ew. <laughs> but I, even, because it's poop. But that's the best thing is that they don't say that. You know, they don't yeah. have to. That's that's good comedy writing. Yeah. Isn't, like, you're not like, hey, look at this joke. It's a poop joke, everyone. Yeah. They just do it and move on. Yeah. 
Fecal matter, people. Yeah. Fecal matter. Fecal it's matter disgusting. is no laughing matter. It's, it's actually really important to your digestive health, but this is, I feel like... I'm I need probably going to cut that bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so after all of this... Uh... Oh, and, and um, sorry, we've, we've, we've kind of glossed over the tourism bit. So the... Um, the mayor sets out, sends out like advertisements to all the countries in the world saying, come to Chew and Swallow, um, you know, where it rains food. Um, and this is my favorite joke in the whole movie, which is actually a running joke. They do it again later. They're showing the, the, um, the ads in different languages and, you know, in the American one, it's like, it's Sam saying something, but she's like, where you can have your, it's something like when you can have your vacation a la mode and then they show it in French and it's like something, something, something a la mode and then in Arabic, something, something, something a la mode and then it's in, it's obviously the British television because you can see Big Ben in the background and it's like something, something, something <laughs> topped with ice cream. <laughs> but and I just freaking love that joke because it's like, of course the British would be like, oh, we're not going to use the French way yeah. of saying it. I just think that's such a clever joke. And, like, later on in the movie, there's a bit where um, when the when the issue, when the clouds get cleared up from the whole world because the storm that happens gets spread over the whole world, it's like, you know, shows Swallow Falls clearing, shows France clearing, shows the pyramids clearing, and then it goes to London and it's like, does the star wipe, but it stays exactly the same. Yeah. Still says dark and stormy. Oh my god, it's such a funny joke. Um, I probably just ruined it, but oh my god, I laughed so much. It was so funny. Yeah. So so eventually, this machine moves into the yellow bit, and the food starts getting much larger. Uh, Flint's dad kind of walks out on his son because he's like, "Yeah, it just isn't right," and you're not doing anything about it because Flint is kind of enjoying the fame and and power of of being in charge of this machine. They're moving towards this kind of. Uh, the, the big opening, they're going to reopen the town as, as officially as Chew and Swallow and, and have everyone come. So there's all these cruise ships arrive and everything and the town's flooded with people uh, for the opening ceremony and Flint's going to cut the rope uh, as this goes on. like I, I, This is lots of bits of him ignoring the much larger food that's starting to fall and eventually as they get to this opening ceremony, uh, as soon as he cuts the ribbon, basically it starts flooding in uh, all this giant, giant food. Uh, so there's a bolognese tornado. Yeah, spaghetti tornado. Yeah, which is very funny. There's just lots of... Uh, they take a lot of bits of the, the book in here uh, where the food starts getting larger. Like the there's the pancake which covers the school. It's a little bit further on, but it starts to spread globally when it starts getting really intense and large. And one of my favourite jokes is they've obviously gone to like New York and somewhere in Times Square and there's this guy and he's like talking to a hot dog vendor and he's going oh but i wanted more mustard with this and then it just like downpours mustard straight onto him and there's <laughs> a very satisfying yeah, the face of the, the vendor like the, the vendor's not even angry or concerned even he's more just or like when the yeah. bagel falls on the, like in the middle yes. of times square that's funny as yeah well. yeah yeah I, I particularly like the the eiffel tower joke yeah. <laughs> it's like a, a sandwich with a giant toothpick in it yeah, yeah. But obviously, uh, this is all too much, and so Flint's like, well, I have to stop the machine back to the lab. And so he runs back towards the lab to uh, press the off switch, uh, and he gets there, and the mayor is waiting for him. I love when he gets there, 
Uh, he's about because Flint's about to press the off button, and the mayor just kind of drives out from like behind. It's like were you just waiting there? Yeah. Even though you were just in the the you were about, you were in the opening ceremony bit. Yeah. Barinas get you places much faster than legs. <laughs> and then and then he um he says his piece, and then he like goes backwards again, and then he comes out again when Flint talks to him. It's yeah. <laughs> A very funny bit. I like. He's like um you have to choose, choose, choose. And and he's like only saying this from just out of the camera view of Flint's face because yeah. then it pans back to like a wide shot and he's still really, really close to Flint's, Flint's ear just saying choose over and over. <laughs> yeah. He's saying you don't want to stop the machine because uh, I think there's the line like what you don't need the love of your father if a, a random acquaintances will... Yeah, if, millions of acquaintances. Yeah, will, will love you. And so Flint hesitates for a moment Eventually, he decides to do the right thing, which is when the mayor chucks a radish at him. He manages to hit the button, but the radish soars past him and destroys the machine before the message to stop can get to the machine. And then he says to the mayor, what did you order? And the mayor says, a Vegas style or you can eat buffet. So literally the worst possible thing because <laughs> it's like every yeah. every type of food. Yeah, and really so badly cooked. It yeah. starts going very bad very quickly, and they're like, "Oh, we." A, so basically, the pl- the plan is well. Flint almost he almost retreats, and he's like, "Well, I've ruined everything," and he goes and hides in like a bin. He's like, "I'm a trash human." <laughs> oh, yeah, this I love it. Really sad. He pulls out bits of rubbish from the bin, and he goes, "This is trash." It's, it's his old inventions. This, yeah, I know, but it's like this is trash. This is trash, and then he get like you. You can only see his arm, and his arm sticks out of the bin, and does like a thumbs down, pointing at him, and he's like, "This is trash." Very sad. Aww. But his dad finally like encourages him. He's like, "I believe in you. You can do something to get us out of this." And so he's encouraged. He's also kind of blown off Sam at this point because uh, he's enjoying the fame and power of that moment of the opening ceremony, and he's like, "Why don't you go report on the weather or something?" Yeah. Well, she tries to tell him that he already knows that something's going wrong. And then she tries to reconfirm that, but he's already made up, made up his mind that he's going to ignore it. And so when she comes to him and says, look, I've been studying the weather and there's something really big happening, he's like, just leave it to me. Like, you you don't know anything kind of thing. So when some, stuff starts going really wrong, he's like, looks to her and she just glares at him, yep. which is really cool. So yeah, he, he, um, he makes his... Flying car mark two because that was one of this his time with wings. This time with wings because his first flying car didn't have wings, so it was a tremendous failure. That was one of the ones before rat birds. <laughs> so funny, and he's like, "I we have to, I have to go up to the the machine and turn it off, and go inside and turn it off." And um, of course, Sam's like, "You'll need a navigator to tell you where the weather is and stuff." And then Manny turns out, he's like, I'm a pilot. You'll need a co-pilot. I'm a pilot. And then Brent, baby Brent's like, I'm coming too. And they're all like, we don't need you. And he's like, yes, but I need to prove myself. He's like, I know. He's like, I need to find out who I really am. Yeah. Because as Flint's become more famous, he's become less famous. Yeah. He's, he's lost the spotlight. Yeah. Um, so the four of them and Steve go up in the flying car. This is when Steve does the licking the microphone bit while they're talking. <laughs> no, 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 it's in the elevator earlier. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. But anyway... Yeah, he does um, a lot of that yeah. sort of thing. While this is all happening, uh, Earl is coordinating the town's evacuation, which is also a bit from the book, um, as they evacuate via bread boats. 
Yeah, they, which they, seems like a terrible idea. But they do like severely toast them. Like it's not just a light toasting. It's you know crunchy. In the in the book, I think it's stale bread. Yeah, so it's hard for yeah. being stale. Yeah, but yeah, but I think still. and it's isn't it grilled cheese sandwiches in the movie? Yeah. I guess the cheese would provide like a waxy layer. Look, to I'm start saying if I, I mean, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Because Leftover Mountain is also about to collapse. Yeah. Which is Leftover Mountain is where they fling all their like the rubbish, you know, that bit behind the unbreakable dam. And wouldn't that like smell so bad? Awful. It smell like most rubbish tubes, I'd imagine. Yeah, but like it's like way above the town. Like, wouldn't the smell just yeah. like come down the mountain? So anyway, there's a lot of inaccuracies in this movie. I'm just saying, <laughs> not very scientifically strong. They don't address a lot of the issues. <laughs> so as they're approaching the flying car, because they get up kind of above cloud level, and you can see the machine, and it's kind of like there's a giant meatball has formed around it, so you can't access it easily. And it's kind of like farting out like everything loads of food, yeah. And taking in clouds from everywhere. And this storm is spreading across the whole world, which you've already kind of brushed upon. Yeah. And so they realize they're going to have to go like inside via the, the top section. But as they kind of get close to it, these pizza wedges attack and they're like, the radiation has become so strong that the food is now sentient. Which is um, great. So they have to do some evasive maneuvers. It brings me to a- another classic baby Brent gag, which is when they're sort of like being attacked by these once they're in the machine and they're sort of trying to find their way to the center and they're sort of getting like stalked by huge amounts of like roasted chickens that have yeah like, like human sized chickens yeah. yeah so so the three so Brent and Sam and Flint are all dumped inside while Manny and Steve stay outside yeah so they they're holding the getaway car basically and so the three that are inside are getting stalked by these giant chickens. And headless chickens, like headless cooked chickens. Yeah, and that's, one of them sort of says, oh, you know, they're, they're harmless. What they're, What are they going to do? They, they're not going to do it. And one of them just sort of like swallows Brent whole, like just like... They ate Brent. But le- a little bit later on, he's sort of like, you see this chicken start to like almost fit and make weird movements and you realize it's the chicken that ate Brent and Brent's sort of sticking his legs down the chicken's legs and his arms into the wings and you know finally his head pops up and he's you know had this self-realization of who he really is and all of this it's a great line he's like I'm not baby Brent I'm chicken Brent and to to sort of enforce this fact that he is now chicken Brent you see him throw his baby Brent nappy that he wears like all the time out of the chicken which is all great until you realise that he's naked and inside of a chicken. A cooked chicken. And you just... <laughs> the don't, don't picture it too hard. It's a disturbing mental image, let's be honest. <laughs> so their plan is to get to the machine uh, and and input the, the kill code. And they've got a little like USB stick or something to do this with. Oh my this God. is when they're in the flying car. <laughs> and they do one of those great comedy bits where they're just like... Well, it's a good thing we didn't lose the, the, the data stick or whatever while we were being attacked by those pizza wedges. And then, of course, the window breaks open and sucks the key right out straight away. <laughs> this is the best plot point in the whole movie. They've lost the USB with the kill code on it. Flint has to call his dad. And he literally says to his dad, but obviously as an audience member, you know this as well. He's like, the fate of the world depends on you helping us, dad. Like, you know, um, I need you to do something for me. And his dad's like, yeah, anything. And then he's like, I need you to go to my computer and email a file to my phone. And his dad's face is There's just... a close-up of his face. Oh, my God. It's 
such a good joke, like, to, like, because it's, it's, like, I mean, I guess it's sort of mean, because it's, like, old people can't use computers, but... But it's but it's, that's been a thing about his dad specifically, like, yeah. the whole thing. Like, he's been shown he's just not good with technology. Exactly, and it's it's just a really, like, funny thing to hinge the whole movie on, the success. And actually, it turns out that that doesn't cause the, what, the end of the film. But, yeah, it's just a really hilarious way to, like, get his dad in the final moments of the movie, but also do it with a joke. Yeah, I just, I really love the writing. It's really, really good. I think it's really, um, it's very clever because I think it's a problem that almost anyone who had taken their children to see this movie has encountered. Because, like, let's be honest, most of our parents can use computers and phones reasonably well. Like, yeah, you get the funny, odd, attached image to a text message from your parents or something. But, you know, they're, they're pretty good. But I know that we have like a 10 year running gag with who's going to teach my grandma how to use the computer, which just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And, you know, we get calls from her late at night saying, I was just trying to set up my email and and it's just like, just that internal, every muscle tenses. And you're just like, Oh, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. And, and also from the other's perspective, it's like when something's kind of a mystery to you, it's like, and you want to help so badly, but you're just like, yeah, you've literally asked me to do the one thing that I can't do. Yeah. <laughs> and this, the sequence of him trying to email this file is hilarious. <laughs> like, he's dragging, he's like, click and drag. He's like, I'm dragging. And he's like, he's, he's just moving the mouse across. He's like, moving the mouse on the screen. He's like, just drag it across the whole desk. And he sweeps the mouse across the desk and knocks everything off. It's so funny. <laughs> it's great. And eventually, like, the, like, something, a, a big piece of food hits the... Uh, the lab and like knocks it over and stuff and it's like almost oh totally well it's trashed. when the when the um the dam breaks yes yeah yeah yes yeah, so, so this one cherry lands on the dam and it's just like right on top and bang the whole thing comes crumbling down and so the the townspeople rush to the sea like the mayor grabs one of the sandwich boats and and like sails off first. And starts he eating stuff. the raft as he's sailing he, like, away on it. He, rides onto it with his scooter. He's like, Steal suckers! And then just plants his face in it. Uh, very funny. And so... Um, Earl is still running towards the ocean with his... Carrying his um, boat with his wife. And then... And so his wife is helping him carry it. I love that. They're one on either side. And like you get this close-up of his son, who we haven't mentioned a lot, but is a very well-animated character in this film. And he's like also running. You see, you see just a show of him running, holding the boat. But he's actually just like moving his legs and holding the boat, like in between the middle of them, which is a very funny yeah, side Yeah, I think gag. the sun is like, if you could imagine, is it Ice Cube? Yeah. That actor as a animated, like, three-year-old? Yeah, he's, I can very, see he's that. got a that's lot what, of that's what cool he's like. about him. Uh, so Brent holds off the advancing chickens as uh, <laughs> Sam and Flint move further towards the machine. They have to, like repel down a uh, a hole which is filled with peanut brittle spikes uh, and Sam's like oh we can't go down uh, we're both allergic to peanuts and he's like I was just lying I made that up to impress you and she's like why do you think an allergy would make you cooler <laughs> yeah. he's like uh-huh. yeah yeah that's a that's a callback to when he first met her he she said she was allergic he's, to peanuts yeah he's doing he, one of that like me too me too yeah. we're so similar yeah so he he repels down the hole um, his dad, and, he's, his dad finally successfully emails him the file. Yeah, it says file downloaded. And um, she 
um, slips. She slips and she gets um, stabbed in the arm by one of the peanut brittle pieces. The immediate anaphylactic. Like yeah, reaction. she like immediately her arm starts swelling up and then her face and like it's like super animated puffy. So Brent, um, so Flint's like, you have to go back to the ship. You have to get an allergy shot. And she, she's like, no, I won't leave you. I love you. And they're you know doing the love thing. So he bites through the licorice rope that she's using to lower him down, which is very heroic of him. And Brent grabs her and takes her back to the ship. And so he's now where the um fidemus fur 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 is and um <laughs> oh, very, very briefly before that finale manny and steve who are still outside the ship start getting attacked by gummy bears oh yeah and it's finally steve's moment to shine because the whole thing he's been requesting gummy bears and flint's always like not now and finally when they're on the ship he just like gets this vision of them and they're like eat me eat me and he's like he goes crazy and just starts like ripping their heads off there's this one moment where he grabs the in quotes, heart out of a gummy bear and like holds it over his head. He's like, ah! <laughs> very, very funny. And he manages to save the plane. Yeah. Flint's kind of creeping around near the, sh- near the machine, ha- has to hide from it because it's like it's, looking for him. It's basically sentient now. Yeah. And he runs up and sticks the USB in and the file that his dad has sent him is the cat video. From earlier. <laughs> yeah. Such a good callback. Uh. And then he's he's like, no, how do I fix this? Everything starts going wrong. And he's dangling from the bottom of the thing. And it's about to spit out one huge glob of food and probably kill him. Yeah, and um, Manny and Brent can see that the the machine's about to blow. So they're like, we have to, you know, fly away from it. Yeah. Um, so they start flying away, even though Sam's like, no, he's going to die in there. No. Uh, Flint realizes that he has the can of spray on shoes in his pocket. Which obviously has been proven earlier in the film, uh, which is the first moments of the film that it never comes off, right? It's like completely like impenetrable. It's there for life. So um, he sprays the opening of the machine, um, sprays it closed with the spray on shoes. Yeah. And the pressure builds up yeah. and the machine explodes. Yeah. Uh, the other characters fly down to the ground and everyone's like, hooray! Until they think Flint is dead. Yeah, there's like, this really sad moment where his dad's approaching him because he's like all ready to embrace and, and love his son. And he's like, he's not there. And there's, and, you're, and for a moment you're like, oh no. And everyone's real sad. And then a cloud <laughs> of rat birds flies down <laughs> and deposits Flint on the ground. And it's like, I love this moment because they kind of acknowledge him as their creator. Yeah. It's very funny. They all, as, as, he, as they sort of fly down from him and sit around, they're all like, Aah! and this sort of weird, like, bow. Uh, so weird. Yeah, it's good. And so, as the, I love this bit. Again, there's another good Steve moment here. So as the characters are all meeting, like, like Sam approaches him and Flint's like, Sam and, and Sam's like Flint and Steve's like Steve and he just does this in between everyone else in the ratings yeah. he just keeps saying his own name very reminiscent to the um, scene in Rocky Horror where it's like Janet Dr. Scott Janet Brad Rocky <laughs> anyway so finally Flint's, Flint's dad comes through the crowd and, and he does this awkward bit they've had this running gag where he tries to he tries to communicate with his son through fishing metaphors because that's all he knows and um, and Flint never quite gets it because he's just not a fisherman. And he starts up with this machine again. And I love Sam is finally like, oh, I've had enough of this. And she grabs the monkey thought translator off of Steve <laughs> and puts it on uh, his dad's head. And he's just like, I just want you to know that I'm very proud of you and you're unique. And, and, and he just gives a nice sentimental speech. It's very touching. 
and and that's because they've done really well creating that bond authentically over the course of the film. Uh, eventually, he's like, and when I'm when I'm speaking to you in fishing metaphors, it's because I'm trying to say. And then he takes the machine off and he says, "I love you, son." And I was like, I am about to cry. Yeah, he was like, we just watched I this was before. On the edge. And he was pretty teary. <laughs> Got some daddy issues there. Um, no, I just cry at every single film. I cried at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. <laughs> I got it. The second time I did. Oh. I got a message from him at work the other day, which he just watched Matilda for the first time. And I got a message saying, I don't know whether it's because I'm just tired, but I'm, I'm crying. <laughs> so beautiful. I cried twice at Matilda. Yep, same here. <laughs> Uh, but in any case, it's a nice happy ending because uh, the the town basically gets rebuilt. And that's basically the end of the film with them all on the shore. Happy love. Oh, and Flint kisses uh, Sam finally. I love yeah. that, which is also a very nice moment because they've had this bit where he keeps putting his face forward to kiss him. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like... Oh. Also, he like holds his breath and blows out his cheeks when he wants to kiss. He does have a big nose. That was why I assumed he was doing it. Honestly, that. I thought it was because in the end scene, I thought it was because he'd been near the peanut brittle and he didn't want to contaminate her. So he was like trying to like not breathe on her when he kissed her. But oh. that's probably just... No, I think he's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that probably makes more sense. Yeah, I think he's just a weirdo. But like, so, so basically she puts her lips forward to kiss him and he doesn't respond. And she's like... What are, you, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I don't want to go for it in case I get rejected again. Because <laughs> he's already been kind of rebuffed like three or four times. And she's like, just shut up and kiss me. And they do. And it's very nice. And I feel like it's, it's a lot of the times you'd be like, oh, God, really? Are we doing this? But this one kind of feels earned. Yeah, the the romance in this story certainly isn't um, like shoved in. It's it's organic to the story. We kind of did skip over earlier in the Jello castle scene, but like when she puts on her glasses and he gets her a Jello scrunchie and she goes back to looking more nerdy, but he thinks she's more attractive. It's and my really, favourite makeup. I really like yeah. that that moment. I wasn't sure in that scene whether he was just... I mean, I thought like he partly meant it, but also he was partly doing it to make her feel better because she was feeling self-conscious. Oh no, I read it And either genuine. way... like. But I think either way, it's lovely. Mm. Like, it doesn't matter whether he's like... You because no he, what. Yeah, like, he loves her no matter what. That's the message. But, like, also he's trying to make her feel better about, like, putting her hair back and wearing glasses. He's still pretty blokey about it, though. He was like, I mean, you were okay before, but you look much better now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not sure that's he's the way trying. to put it. He's just not very good. Yeah. Boys are bad at this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's the end of the film. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. Uh, so let's give recommendations for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, book and film. Uh, I'm going to throw it to Kat first. Yes to both. I think they're both good in their own way. When I have kids, I think that's a really great... I think it's a really cool book to read because it's not super specific in its plot line, like we said. It allows you to sort of imagine this world for yourself. And the movie's just great. Funny. Same. Yeah, it's really good. I can't really think of a negative thing about either. Um, if you haven't read the book and you're interested, it takes eight minutes to read. Yeah, I'm also on board with giving both a thumbs up. I think I'm kind of indifferent to the book. Like, it's just not targeted at me, which is pretty obvious. But that's fine. I think kids would enjoy it. It's definitely more there as an uh, an interesting concept bedtime story rather than a you know fairy tale thing or anything like that. But I like that the concept was good enough to turn into a very funny... Uh, family animated film. 
Uh, and I am a sucker for a, for an animated film, and I've seen plenty of good ones and plenty of bad ones, and this is definitely in the former category. I think mm. we jumped around a fair bit when we were talking about it. Like, we skipped large scenes of it, but that's because the, there were, like, large sections that were, like, pretty much just jokes, yeah. and they weren't mm. really plot. But that's okay because of the high joke-per-minute ratio, and, like, it is a kid's movie. And so it's just interesting and fun, and then, like, you'll get back to the plot for a bit, and then there'll be more jokes. And it's like, it would only, like, not be okay if it wasn't funny, but it is really funny, so yeah. And on, on top of that is another layer where they've managed to create authentic relationships between Flint and his dad and Flint and Sam. Yeah. And that's really important to, to the film being good rather than just a collection of jokes. So the fact that they managed to do both uh, uh, definitely puts it in the good film category, in my yeah. opinion. I also think it would make a fantastic coloring book, just like the food flying everywhere. It'd make a good video game too. Maybe it'd make a good sequel. I've seen the sequel, it's pretty good. Is it as good as this one? Uh, I don't remember if it's as good, but That's probably it was not pretty a, fun. probably not a great sign that it is. Yeah. Uh, so what are you into outside of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, people? What have you read, Lois? You've got to have read something. You're always reading. Um... What words have you read lately, Lois? I have mostly been playing iPad games. <laughs> So, but I don't want to recommend those because that's terrible. I've been reading a series I was telling you about before. Um, It's called Queen of the Tealing. It starts off as like a fantasy series and turns out to be more of a sci-fi series. I won't say anything else because I don't really want to spoil it. It's really good, really good characters, good female protagonist. I guess it's young adult-ish, though it's fairly violent um, and fairly visceral with its descriptions of violence. Yeah, it just, it avoids a lot of those, it does fall into some of them, but it avoids a lot of those young adult with a female character tropes, um, which I really enjoyed about it. I haven't quite finished the third one yet, but um, yeah, I'd really recommend those. They're really good. I've just finished um, watching All of Bones from the beginning to end, which was quite good, but I did find myself sort of like in my dreams, my, my speaking was becoming more and more how Bones would speak in her dreams. So I've just started watching uh, Downton Abbey and I'm halfway through. And again, I'm finding that in my dreams I have really good English and grammar, (laughs) which I don't in real life. So I guess that's a good thing. Um, I've been kind of dipping my toes into a lot of stuff, I guess, lately. I've been keeping up watching the wrestling. uh, For anyone who's not watched wrestling before, I think uh, seeing if you can catch some of... NXT, which is their almost like lower league show, which is only one hour long, but is probably better than either of their primetime TV shows, um, is worth a watch. I've uh, been getting into Angie Tribeca a little bit, uh, which is very, very funny and totally unique and definitely uh, worth catching. But I think, and also I'm um, getting ready for Eurovision, which will have come and gone by the time that this podcast is out, unfortunately. So I don't, I won't really have anything to say on it at the moment. But uh, something that I have been to see lately is Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which uh, I can give only the highest of recommendations to. It's very, very funny. Probably the funniest film they've done to date. Definitely funnier than the original. They do go for more jokes, and there are more that hit and more than miss um, than the last one because of that higher number. But the characters also now have a basis, and you're not having to introduce them all. And so they're allowed a lot more freedom in the story. And I think the villain who's played by Kurt Russell, is 
possibly the second best villain that Marvel have ever come up with after Loki. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of good motivation, a lot of good storytelling, and James Gunn, I think, improves on his his world in the second installment. So, yeah, go give that a, a watch. I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy the first one the first time I watched it, and I think this one, I think, will benefit from further rewatches. Um, I definitely I, enjoyed it I, more on a second yeah, rewatch. Yeah, I enjoyed it the first time, but like I kind of left being like, that was weird. I think when I rewatch it, I'll enjoy it more. Uh, so next time, uh, we're going to be watching Matilda. Yes. Your boy, yes. Roald Dahl's back for another With round. With a very special guest. Yes. Yes. Secret surprise guest. Yes. Is it me? No. It's not you, sorry. Oh. But you're welcome back another time. Uh, you can find and contact us at wereadthebook at gmail.com and on Twitter at readthebookpod and on Tumblr at wereadthebook.tumblr.com. You got it! Yeah, I did. <laughs> Which I didn't in the one after this. Yeah. Because we're recording this afterwards. No, continuity. Uh, and also Instagram. Yeah, I think we're readthebookpod on Instagram as well. But we are bad at remembering to use Instagram. Yes, so. we are. I'm getting better at Tumblr, slightly. Follow us on anything that you feel like. Yep. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, which is what we'd appreciate the most, uh, along with a review if you enjoy the show. We know we have uh, a few listeners out there now. Yep, um, and on Stitcher. Yep, uh, that's if you're on Android. Um, so either of those will allow us to appear in your ears bi-weekly. And that is pretty much all for this week, so we will see you in a fortnight's time. Uh, for now, I've been Adam Steve Heath. I'm Lois Chocolate Snowballs Mitchell. And I'm Catbird Ratbird Heap. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time. Bye. I might watch it when I'm at home. I watched Storks on a Plane, which is another one of theirs. And <laughs> is that the sequel to Snakes on a Plane? <laughs> <laughs> Storks on a Plane. Um, yes. much, much less scary. Yeah. And it, much less, there's just, a oh, lot less swearing in it. Storks in my face. <laughs>